God has been extended to a fallen race. Through Christ, the Savior of all men, there is hope in saving grace. It goes beneath the deepest stain that sin could ever leave, redeeming souls to live again who will on Christ believe. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And he came to Nazareth, the town where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And as he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and read these words out loud. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, to give sight to the blind, to set free the broken in spirit, and to proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat back down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Who is this Nazarene? Many spoke well of him and were amazed at his teaching. His words were gracious, and he spoke with power and authority, unlike any of the teachers of the law. But where did this man get such wisdom and such power, some asked. Isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? And isn't his mother's name Mary and his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? And Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Some said, this truly is the prophet. Referring to Deuteronomy 18, where God would raise up a prophet like Moses in the last days. Others said, this is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. And some said, he's a good man. While others replied, no, no, he deceives the people. And there was great division among the people. Some wanting to have him arrested, and some even wanting him killed. But no matter what you thought of him, this was sure. No one had ever spoken like this man. In the Gospel according to Luke, it reads that shortly after Jesus was born, an older man named Simeon, who was moved by the Spirit, said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and destined to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And this would be confirmed years later, when his time had finally come, and he started to speak publicly. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, he said. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever does not take up his cross, that is to render his own life and be willing to die if necessary and follow after me, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. On another occasion, he stood up before a large crowd, crying out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost beings will flow rivers of flowing water, living water. No one had ever spoken like this. No one had ever gained such attention. And no one had ever made such claims about himself. No one. No man. You do not know me or my father, he said. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And by this he identified himself as the one eternal God who was now standing before them in human flesh. The same eternal God who said to Moses, Tell them, I am has sent you. I am who I am. The Lord, Yahweh, Yehoah, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. And in his deity, he claims to come as a shepherd to die for his sheep. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy, he said. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, signifying that his death would be the key to eternal life for his followers, his sheep. He claims to be the only way to God, saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He claims to be the bread and water that gives eternal life. I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever drinks the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. And my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He claims that we can do nothing without him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He claims to be the one who raises people from the dead at the end of history. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
He claims to have fulfilled the whole law. He claims to forgive sins. And he claims so much more. The prophet Isaiah declared, and they shall refer to him as Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. And the angel said, you shall give him the name Yeshua, or Jesus in English, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. C.S. Lewis wrote, a man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the same level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. No one ever spoke like this man did, because his words were the very words from out the mouth of God. And his very words, the universe leaped, into existence. And every word he ever spoke is still alive and active today, piercing through and changing the hearts of many, bringing forth new life. The words I have spoken to you, Jesus says, are spirit and life. And the spirit says, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to do so come and take the free gift of the water of life. Good morning, everyone. What manner of man is this? I want you to think about people who have authority today. And in that authority, they have power, like owners of businesses, CEOs, bosses, presidents, police officers, leaders in communities, and how people who are in places of authority and power use their power says something about their character. The way they lead and delegate and use their power shows those who know them, something about their character. It shows them their heart. It reveals their character. Are they considerate, gentle, kind, and generous? Do they think of the good of those that they have the authority over? Those with power and how they use that power says volumes about their character. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has more power and authority than anyone. There was, there was and will be no other man like the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. 100% man, 100% God. Born of the Virgin Mary, all man, all God, for in him the fullness of deity dwells. And the way that Jesus uses powers and authorities and his miracles and signs and wonders speaks volumes about his character. 
In this story of Jesus, in this verse that's on the overhead, Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples in a boat. Jesus and his humanist is tired, and he's sleeping in the boat. A great storm arose on the sea, and I would assume that the disciples that are sailing the craft are the professional commercial fishermen that Jesus called to follow him. So I'm sure they had been in bad weather at sea, so this storm had to come on suddenly and strong. The sea is getting fierce, and the waves are crashing and breaking over the boat, and the boat is trying to take on water, and they all get scared, and they wake up Jesus saying, Save us, Lord. Don't you care? We are perishing. Jesus awakens and rebukes the winds in the sea, and it becomes perfectly calm. Instantly, it was perfect weather to be at sea. I've been on some storms in the sea, and it can take hours and sometimes days for the sea to go calm. But when the one who created the universe with the word says, Hush, be still, they immediately become still. The universe has no option but to obey its creator. The winds and the waves could do nothing but diminish. The sea became as glass, and the wind stopped. This account of the Gospel of Mark tells us that after Jesus quenched the storm, now the disciples became very much afraid. It is always very frightening for sinful man to realize that they're in the presence of a holy God. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Jesus demonstrated with his miracles, signs, and wonders his authority over creation, over nature, because he is God in flesh. As of all Jesus' miracles, wonders, and signs, clearly show his authority over all creation, diseases, demons, death, and the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because he humbled himself and he came down from heaven to become one of us, to rescue us from the domain of darkness. This is the first point I want to establish this morning to show that Jesus' miracles and signs and wonders affirm his true identity as the Son of God. In Acts 2.22, Peter is preaching and declares this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. The word attested Peter uses here means clear evidence or to exhibit something. It conveys the idea of proof. Peter is declaring to the men of Israel that they have no excuse, that Jesus couldn't do what he did for miracles and wonders and signs unless God was working through him. The many miracles of our Lord provide overwhelming evidence that he is who he claimed to be. From the miracle of his birth to the miracle of his resurrection and all the works and words in between clearly display he was God. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, clearly spoke for many, even as an enemy, who said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Even to those who were totally against him, it was clear Jesus was doing the work of God. In the Gospel of John, John refers to Jesus' miracles as works. Jesus said in, 10, in John 10, 37-38, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you don't believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. The Jews are accusing Jesus of blasphemy because he says he is the Son of God. And Jesus is saying to them, Look at the works I do. Believe in the works and know that Jesus, the Son of God, and God, the Father, are one. 
So Jesus' miracles affirm his identity as the Son of God. Also, Jesus performed miracles because he had compassion and he wanted to meet human need. Jesus' compassion for mankind flowed from his great love for lost sinners. He felt bad and had pity and compassion for the blind and gave them sight. He had compassion for the deaf and the mute and gave them ears to hear and tongues to speak. He had compassion for those sick and handicapped and healed them. He had compassion on the demon-possessed and cast out demons. He had compassion on the lepers and healed them. He even had compassion on those hungry and fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Through all of Jesus' miraculous events, he shows us his heart. He shows us his character. Jesus is seeing the effects of sin all around him, and it moves him to compassion. This is how the God of creation, who loves so greatly, so strongly, that he is affected by our pain and suffering. Think of it this way. When God first created the world, remember it was all good. Man could dwell with God in paradise, with the plants and the animals and the perfect atmosphere. Everything was good. But sin came along and destroyed that and sent the world into chaos. When Jesus performed miracles, restored sight, gave tongues to speak, quenched the storm and gave health to the sick and raised dead to life, Jesus is restoring things to the way it was originally designed. But even more exciting than that is the future of the child of God. And that's what the born-again Christian has to look forward to. Read Revelation 21 and 22. It speaks of um, Jesus recreating the world and things being perfect. Jesus' miracles are not only confirmation that he is the Son of God, but also some beautiful previews of how he will use his power and authority in the future. The new heaven and the new earth. There will be no more sin, no more effects of sin. No suffering, no sickness, no death, no evil. All destroyed and gone. And that's why the miracles are referred to as signs. Because there is more than meets the eyes. The signs are pointing us to Jesus and to his glory and our future sure hope. What are the signs for? They direct, they point us to the direction that we want to go. The miracles of Jesus were signs pointing to spiritual truths for all of us. The signs are markers that let us know we're on the right spiritual road. They point to the Son of God, Jesus, who we all need to have faith in and follow. The signs point to how awesome Jesus is and how worthy he is of all our praise and worship and how all glory and honor belongs to him. When John the Baptist was in his cold, damp, stinky prison cell, he most likely knew it wasn't going to end good for him. In his time of suffering and pain, he started to have doubts, as well as, as we would have from time to time when the enemy is trying us. When Jesus, the true Messiah, was Jesus the true Messiah? He had probably seen false messiahs in his days. Was Jesus the expected one? So he sent two of his disciples to Jesus, and they asked Jesus, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Jesus said to them, go report to John that you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Jesus quotes Isaiah 35 for John and reminds them how he is fulfilling Old Testament scripture. He reminds John of his power and his authority, his great love and compassion. And I'm sure John found great comfort in that for his last final few days. The miracle signs and wonders of our Lord Jesus provoked faith and strengthened faith. In John 20, 31 through 31, John writes, 
Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That greatest miracle of all is that God would leave his glory in heaven and come to earth and become man and live a perfect and sinless life and do all the beautiful miracles and show his power and authority over all things and show us his heart for lost sinners to reveal his most beautiful character, be falsely accused. He could have called on legions of angels, but he didn't. He would do the Father's will. He would be beaten and mocked and punished and suffer an excruciating death. And forgive those who were doing this to him, which was my sins and yours. This causes me to wonder, what manner of man is this? How could he sow such love, such mercy, such grace, such pity, such compassion, such long-suffering? The miracles and signs and the wonders of Jesus should cause us to listen to him, to, to fear him, to obey him, and to live for him and his glory. sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. How pale thou art with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn. How dost that visage languish? which once was bright as morn. Upon that cross of Jesus my eye at times can see that shadow of a mighty rock, oh, excuse me, the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears, to wonders I confess, the wonders of redeeming love in my unworthiness. Oh, for an anointing today. An anointing for this whole service. Everything about it. I've always said this. The Pentecosts do not have a corner on the Holy Spirit. He didn't die in the first century. He's alive. And would to God He'd move us all today as we contemplate this great subject before us. Jesus of Nazareth is passing through today. Don't let Him pass you by. May you be such a one to reach out your hand and touch the hem of his garment. I love Brother Gary last week, one of my favorite verses referring to the Lord, when blind Bartimaeus lifted up his voice and they were, they were telling him to 
shut up, Bottom. But he lifted up the Jesus, have mercy on me. One of the probably the only time in reference in Scripture you'll ever find, and Jesus stood still. That cry of abandonment, that cry for mercy, stopped that blessed Savior. May somebody from the depths of their heart cry out today to this one as he's passing down through Southbridge today. Before I read my passage, a few random passages I, I want to, and hopefully tie it all together. He telleth the number of stars, he calleth them all by their names. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. Now the verse that was before me this morning reads as follows. Is it nothing to you all ye that pass by. The next word is probably one of the most overlooked, overread words in the whole Bible. Does anyone know what the next word is? Brother? Is it nothing to you all, ye that pass by? Behold. Behold, the Spirit of God wants us all to pause and think about what we're about to read. He puts this word in there for a reason, to cause us to pause, to consider what follows this word. Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. From above hath he sent fire into my bones, and it prevailed against them. He hath spread a net for my feet. He hath turned me back. He hath made me desolate and faint all the day. We're passing by the cross once again today and view this one once again 
and I almost want to fall on my knees and cry out for one you know those they come in various shapes those crystals and you hold them up to the light and it sparkles out you know I have one on one of my in my car and a little fish fishing line and you know when the sun just hits that just right that's what I pray for this morning for each and every one of us here. Another flash, a glimpse, a behold moment for us all as we come and witness a man who suffered beyond all, all words. We can never measure the height of his love, nor can we ever measure the depth of his suffering and anguish upon the cross. This was the same one who Isaiah tells us that that he clothed the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their coverings. But Isaiah also tells us concerning him that he gave his back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame in spitting. This is the one who Isaiah... I can't imagine these scribes and Pharisees and doctors of the law reading these words and saying, who? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Or is he talking about some other man? As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. I wish I could have the tongue of some of the brothers and sisters in here that could open up this passage and describe to me and help me get beyond my feeble words that upon the cross, this one, this one whom we worship, this one whom we adore, this one for the reason that we're all sitting here this morning, did not resemble a human being on the cross. To look at him, a bloody pulp, suffering from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. There was not a part of his body that was not in anguish. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I ask each and every one of us here this morning, ask me first, would there anyone love to have this written on their tombstone. 
His brother so-and-so, he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Any one of us that would love to have that on our tombstone. This man did. And when it goes on to say, we hid our faces from him. He was despised. What does the next word say? I have to raise my hands like this, like, was it Brother Whitfield? This is a general confession. And we esteemed him not. Is there anyone here that can join in that general confession that one point in our life, we walked by with carelessness and indifference, and he meant nothing to us. But now he means everything to us. And we have this opportunity this morning to fall on our faces and worship him, to come back once again as that leper. It is said, suffering does not always excite the same degree of pity. You must know something of the individual before the innermost depths of our soul are stirred. And so it happens to us that the higher the character and the more able we are to appreciate it, the closer the relation and the more fondly we reciprocate the love, the more deeply the suffering strike the soul. You are coming to his table, some of you today, and you will partake of bread. I pray that you remember it represents the quivering flesh that was filled with pain on Calvary. You will sip of that cup then be sure to remember that it betokens to you the blood of one who loves you better than you could be loved by mother or by husband or by friend. Oh, sit you down and smite your breasts that he should grieve, that heaven's sun should be eclipsed, that heaven's lily should be spotted with blood. This one who names calls the stars by their name is the one that fell on his face in Gethsemane. And it says, in being in an agony, do you know that that is the only place in the Bible that word is mentioned? Agony. Being in an agony he prayed the more earnestly. Our blessed Savior, who went from kneeling to falling to the ground a little, and going further and falling on his face, his face, his face. When he was brought before the Roman soldiers, I think it has that account in all Gospels. And it says there wasn't one or two that went up in sported with them. But if you look closely, it says the whole band of soldiers 
went up to mock him. You see that scarlet robe it is an imitation of the purple robe that a king wears. See that old chair into which the soldiers have thrust him so that he may be seated upon a mockery of a throne. And Solomon sat on an ivory throne overlaid with pure gold. Our Savior's throne was the cross of Calvary with his crown. See above all that crown upon his head. Listen. It has rubies in it. It has rubies in it. The rubies are composed of his own blood. They pay him homage, but the homage is their own filthy spittle which runs down his cheeks. I think we all get the picture. This is our Savior. Has any man, behold, is it, is it nothing to any one of us that pass by and behold his sorrow upon the cross, the suffering. I know I've I know I've read this before in closing. I think it is one of the most concise paragraphs. I've read it maybe a thousand times. Every time I read it, I, I, I hardly can get by the portion without welling up. It is so tremendous. It is so awesome. It is so Christ-centered. When you think about this, when you get beyond the words, so to speak, I have often heard that there is no faith wanted in heaven. But I rather judge that we shall want as much faith to believe that these things were ever done as the patriarchs had to believe that they would be done. How shall I sit down and gaze upon him and think that his dear face was once profaned with spittle when all heaven shall lie prostrate at his feet in awful silence of adoration will it seem possible that once he was mocked. When angels and principalities and powers shall all be roused to rapture of harmonious music in his praise, will it seem possible that once the most abject of men plucked out the hair? Will it not... Will Will it not appear incredible that those sacred hands, which are as gold rings set with the barrel, were once nailed to a cross? Oh, I could read, I could read on and on and on 
Oh, why couldst thou not spit upon earthly splendors? Why must heaven be thy scorn? Or if heaven, why not spit on angels? Was there no place for thy base deed but the well-beloved face? Was there no place for thy spittle but his face? His face! What a Savior. What a Savior. And inscribed upon the cross we see, in shining letters, God is love. Amen. of Christ means anything to you, would you say amen? amen? I hope it does, and if it doesn't, may God use His Word and what you've heard already to make, make you be able to say amen to the resurrection of Christ. As a matter of fact, if Christ wasn't risen from the dead, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. We'd have no reason to come together. As a matter of fact, we'd have a lot of bad news. If what we heard in the beginning of the service, that this man... Never a man spoke like this man. Never a man did like this man. Never a man suffered like this man. But if he didn't rise from the dead, big deal. There's been a lot of great men and women in history. But the resurrection is what sets him apart. I want to just, in the remaining time, just give you a little something to think about as well. Never a man laid in this tomb before. Now let's, if you have your Bible, listen up to me. I'm reading in John chapter 19. They took the body of Jesus. They wound it in linen clothes with spices as the manner of the Jews was to bury. Verse 41 of John 19. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. I'm going to stop there. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. What is the significance of the inspired writer of the Bible telling us that where Jesus was laid, no one ever laid there before? Garden tombs and tombs in general were often used over and over again. But in this case, Joseph of Arimathea, being a wealthy man who had his own tomb, was willing to volunteer his tomb to place the body of Jesus Christ in. But it was a place where never a body was laid before. It tells us a little early when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it says he rode on a donkey that no one ever rode on before. Why is there importance to that? Try to ride a donkey that's never been ridden before. It's impossible practically. It needs to be broken in. It needs to be trained. But when Christ gets on this beast, he's able to quietly and smoothly go right into the city of Jerusalem. That's an indication of his superiority, of his greatness over even creation. In the Old Testament, and this I believe is one of the reasons why, Jesus, or the reason why Jesus of his tomb, it says that no one, no man ever laid in it before. Second Kings 13, 20 says that Elijah died and was buried. Now at that time, the Moabite raiders used to come into the land in the spring of the year. And once, as the Israelites 
were burying a man, suddenly they saw a raiding party. As they threw the man into Elisha's tomb, and when he touched Elisha's bones, the man revived and stood up. Did you get that? There was a funeral procession. They're carrying a dead body. All of a sudden, some thieves are appearing on the scene. They're scared to death. They got this body. What are they going to do with it? They found the quickest and shortest place to dispose of the tomb, of the body. There was a tomb. They put the body inside, which happened to be where Elijah's bones were laid. And when the body of the dead man touched Elisha's bones, it says he revived and stood up. Not so the case with the Lord Jesus. The tomb that he was placed in, there was nothing in there. There was no sacred object. There were no holy bones of Old Testament prophets, priests, or kings that were there. This was an empty tomb. There was nothing in it, no material, nothing whatsoever. Jesus says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to lay it up again. Take it up again. We know Jesus himself performed many miracles, as Randy was talking about. The mighty works of Jesus, stilling the sea and the wind, and giving depth to the, to the, to the uh giving sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, in all these sorts of miracles, truly it could be said, what manner of man is this? The greatest of his miracles were the resurrection miracles that he performed. Three of them. One of them was on Jairus' daughter, an only daughter. The other one was the widow of Nain, an only son. The third one was Lazarus, the only brother. Three resurrections. His own resurrection, the only begotten son of God raised from the dead. In the case of Jairus' daughter, there's the wake. Her body is laid out in the home. The mourners have, have come to express their grief and sorrows. The second one, the widow of Nain's son, is a funeral procession. They're carrying the body to be buried. And in the third one, we have a graveyard service. Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus. And when Jesus was at that tomb of Lazarus, he said, knowing he had been dead for four days, said, roll away the stone. In the case when Jesus was buried, we have no record of anybody rolling away the stone. When Jesus approached the tomb where Lazarus was buried, he shouted out after the stone was rolled away, Lazarus, come forth. And immediately Lazarus came forth, it says, bound hand and foot with the napkin around his head. He was in grave clothes. How about when Jesus came out of the grave? The stone was rolled away of its own. I believe the Lord himself rolled that stone away. And not only that, his own grave clothes were neatly arranged there. He didn't come out with grave clothes. He came out as a resurrected man. He came out with new life. He came out without the power of anyone having to say to him, Jesus, come forth. 
I have of my own power the ability to raise it up again. Hallelujah to that. When the woman went to the tomb and saw that it was empty, and the angel tipped her off saying, He's risen. Go tell his disciples. Can you imagine how excited she must have been to have met an angel and be informed He's risen. He's not here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Go tell his disciples. It says that she ran to inform them. When Peter and John, the first ones to hear the news, it says that they took off and they headed to the tomb to see it for themselves. John and Peter had this competition, as it were. She could get there first. Peter ran. In the next chapter, when they're fishing, they fished all night, they caught nothing. Until a voice from the shoreline says, Children, cast your net on the right side. You know, the left side was the common place where fishermen would cast their nets. Because on the right side would have been the steering oar. It's not the normal place that you would throw your net towards. Jesus says, cast your net on the right side. They cast the net on the right side. They pulled up a host of 153 fish. Peter gets elbowed and told, That's the Lord that just said that. Guess what Peter did? He put on his fisherman's coat. He girded himself. He jumped in the water and swam 100 yards. Peter had athletic ability. He was a runner and he was a swimmer. But what got him to move, the energy that moved him, was the news that Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is on the shoreline, and I want to see him. I want to behold the Lamb of God. In the Gospel of John, it says, 129, his introduction to, you could say, humanity. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Pilate presents Jesus to the crowd of the Jews who were waiting to see what the outcome of his trial would be, Pilate presents Jesus to the crowd and says, Behold the man! Then lastly, in chapter 20, when Jesus is with the disciples, and Thomas, who had missed the first meeting, is now in attendance who had said, I'm not going to believe unless I see it with my eyes. That's where we get the word doubting Thomas. When Jesus appears on that second meeting in the upper room, Thomas is in attendance. And guess who gets the attention? Thomas from Jesus. And the good news is this. He didn't scold him. He didn't scream at him. He didn't yell at him. Why didn't you believe what I told you all? That I was going to rise from the dead. Why don't you believe the message that the disciples, your fellow apostles told you that I'm risen from the dead and I'm alive? No, he didn't take that approach. He said, Peter, Thomas, come near. I want to show you something. And this is the third behold in the Gospel of John. Behold the Lamb, behold the man. And then Jesus says, behold my hands. Behold my side. Thomas said with exclamation, My Lord and my God, it's true. You are risen from the dead. 
You must be the divine Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, the hope of all humanity. And that's why we can say, who believe on the Lord Jesus, Amen to His resurrection from the dead. If He's not risen, the Bible says, our preaching is meaningless. And your faith, if you haven't, is also meaningless. What does Christ mean to you? For us who are saved, it's good news. The sun is no more darkened. The sun shines. There's hope ahead for us. We've got a Savior who's high on the glory, a risen Christ who's ascended into heaven, who's seated at the right hand of God, whoever lives to make intercession for us. The one who died says, I am he that liveth and was dead and am alive forevermore. He's alive for April 1st, 2018. I'm in the wrong century. This is too exciting. Pardon me. Wow. We can still preach him as risen from the dead. People have their doubts like Thomas. I won't believe it until I see it. When you have to see it, if you haven't believed it, it will be too late. Because the Bible says when he comes, he's coming with great power and glory. It says every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him shall behold him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. He's coming to judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. What think ye of Christ? What does he mean to you? Can we go into the tomb this morning and say, He is our here? That's part of it. But we can go this way and say, He is up there. He's risen and ascended into heaven. He's at the Father's right hand. He lowered himself to such a low degree that God exalted him to such a high degree. Giving him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When he was here on earth, he was mocked and spit upon. He was the song of the drunkards. He was despised and rejected of men. But all are going to rise, as Jesus says, the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves are going to hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. They that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And all will bow the knee. All mouths will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mohammed will be in that crowd. Buddha will be in the crowd. Confucius will be in the crowd. All humanity will be in the crowd. And they'll all praise Him who is worthy of all glory and honor, praise and worship. To some He'll say, Depart from me. To others He will say, Come ye blessed of my Father into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What good news. I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's an empty tomb, but there's a place with Him that all who believe on Him can be with if they've only repent of their sins and put faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead... You will be saved. Hallelujah. 
I believe it from my heart that Christ died as my substitute on Calvary. That God raised him then from the dead and gave him glory and honor at his own right hand. Do you believe that? That is the gospel. That's how we get right with God. There's one God, one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, who died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day and has ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God and is coming again. Hallelujah! What a Savior! I'm glad the sun is shining today because this is a day of good tidings. We've got an empty tomb. We've got a risen Savior. And we've got a hope that lies before us. Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We would be playing the fool if Jesus isn't risen from the dead. I'm banking everything on His resurrection. And if you have faith in Christ, that's what our hope is based on. He is risen from the dead. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Let us close in prayer. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank You for the risen Savior this morning. Thank You that we can be reminded on this special day of the year that the Christian church for hundreds and hundreds of years have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. But Lord, more importantly, we thank you that we as individual people can believe that he rose from the dead for me. And now we who believe are risen to walk with him in newness of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the record of the scriptures that tells us of what you've done, who you are, and where you are now. Lord Jesus, thank you. And our heart goes out to anyone, Lord, in this room that does not believe. Give them faith, Lord. What a difference Jesus can make in their lives if they would only repent of their sins and believe in their heart that He's risen from the dead. Oh God, receive our praise and worship. And may we give this day up to you, Lord, as the reminding day that we too were dead in our sins and we're risen with Christ, now walking in newness of life. Because He lives, we live also. Receive our worship, O God, in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.